welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Boomer woman. Is that you? If yes, does any of this sound familiar? You think about others first. You prioritize what others need. You fix situations, and sometimes people, that, that seem broken. You fight for the rights and needs of others. You feel what others feel. You anticipate the needs of others. You say yes to everything. If you also said yes to a few of the aforementioned, there's a good chance you're a people pleaser. Now, that's not all bad. You have superpowers, but according to today's guest, People-pleasing takes us away from the truth of who we are. It silences our our authentic self-expression and keeps our own needs at the bottom of the list, reserved for someday, when there's time. Now, I'm just as guilty as you are, so it's my great pleasure to welcome the woman who can liberate us all. Brenda Florida, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Oh, thank you, Agnes. I am so happy to be here. Brenda, you probably realize I stole some of that intro directly from your website. Please tell us about you and how you came to be the Liberatrix. <laughs> liberatrix, I love that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I did it because I liberated myself first. <laughs> so that is, you know, so fundamental and central to my experience and my story is that I am a people pleaser from way back. and. I learned how to take myself out of those habits that always somehow kept me last on my own list or prioritizing other people or, you know, just so much thinking about what I can do to solve somebody else's problem or fix some situation. And I spent a lot of energy wanting to fix myself, but I saw that also as a problem that needed to be solved. And it wasn't until probably in the last 10 years or so where I've really moved to a place of self-love and self-compassion that has allowed me to stop seeing people-pleasing as really a problem exactly, like something wrong with me is what I mean by problem, okay? Instead of seeing it as something wrong with me, I see it as a group of qualities and skills that I have, empathy and problem solving and all these great things that I have focused in my early years entirely on others and not so much on myself. 
And so what I've learned in self-love and self-care is to turn those qualities and skills first to myself, and then they naturally flow to others. And that way, that's what brought me to liberation, to really feeling free was not that I stopped caring about other people or stopped solving problems or stopped helping others or whatever. It's that I started having that empathy first for myself, instead of only caring about how you're feeling, it's equally as important how I'm feeling and what I need and what I desire. And even though at the beginning of the journey, I felt very selfish, very selfish doing that because I had been very much conditioned to believe, especially as a woman, as a boomer, I also grew up in a very religious, you know, very conservative, if not fundamentalist, religious environment. And so as a girl, as a woman, you know, I was second rate, you know, men were all more important, whatever they wanted, thought, you know, needed was all, you know, I was supposed to be in service to that. And so I was raised with that kind of conditioning as most of us are to one degree or another, as women. And so it was, it felt very selfish and very unnatural for me to start thinking about what do I really want? Is that, can you relate to that? Yeah. What I'm thinking of is I've got a background in caregiving, elder care. And, and a lot of boomer women are caregivers of parents or elders or even spouses now at this stage of the game. And the one thing we always say is you have to take care of yourself first or else you will have nothing left. And we do still see, you know, the caregiver dies before the person being cared for because they're so depleted. So is my next question was going to be about people pleasing and why it's a problem. But is, is that part of it? Yes. So that's what happens. We end up both giving. It's sort of a two component thing where Yes, we overgive. And so that means at the expense of ourselves, when I use that term overgiving, that's what I mean. Because if I'm in a balanced state of giving, you know, <laughs> I'm doing both. I'm giving to myself and to others. And we overfunction often. So this is where we get into lots of trouble with spouses, with children, and, and in work environments where we're over-functioning for the people around us, which also allows them to under-function. And so this is where you get in very classic dynamics of this or it, with alcoholics or emotionally abusive relationships, of which I've had my fair share of. And it happens a lot with mothers and their children when they when mothers are overfunctioning for their children then you know those kids may grow up to be very underfunctioning and then they never leave home and they never you know they have a lot of their own addiction problems and i'm not saying it's our fault so don't get me wrong it when we are in a habit of overfunctioning again it's just a coping mechanism So it's not like our fault that the other person drinks or our fault that they, you know, under function in some way, but we want to take care of our own side of it, which is if I will stop over functioning, that other person 
will have to, something's going to have to give, right? They won't be able to continue doing what they're doing. And so I've had a lot of that in my life with uh, my relationship with my mother, with marrying a couple of uh, emotionally abusive men um, and raising my own children. I have four children. And so they're all, and I had my children when I was very young. I married my high school sweetheart and, you know, had my first baby when I was 19 and had my fourth by the time I was 26. So my children, you know, I'm 60, but my kids are already, you know, my oldest is 40. So, you know, my kids are a little bit old compared to me because I had them so young, but that was a big lesson. I didn't want to, even though it was very hard for me to stop it in my marriage, somehow I knew as a mother, I didn't want to over-function for my kids. And so I did a much better job of it over there. <laughs> it was much harder for me in romance uh, to, you know, to change that habit. And that's the way I like to think of it because that doesn't feel judgmental to me. We're not broken. We don't need fixing, but we have a habit of silencing ourselves or doing for others before we've taken care of ourselves. That is a habit that is culturally affirmed. I think that's important to admit in the patriarchy. It's very culturally affirmed that women be in service and put themselves at least in second place, if not farther down the line, because it supports that system you know, to do so. So we come by it, honestly, so to speak, but that doesn't mean we want to stay trapped in it because here's the thing. I'm very passionate about helping people tap into their innate, authentic power. And we have this system of people pleasing, the habit of people pleasing does not allow really for personal power, for that authentic power, because it's all focused on other people. And as long as my focus is on others, then I I don't have any power over other people, right? Like it's simple enough when you look at it that way. I have no power over you, Agnes, and what question you're going to ask me next or how this is going to go, right? I have no power over that. I can try to prepare. I can bring my best, you know, self to the table. I can, you know, I can do my part, but I can never control or have power over what another person is going to do what they're going to think, whether they're going to like me, whether we're going to leave this podcast and you're going to think I was an awesome guest or a terrible guest and you're embarrassed to post this thing or, you know, whatever. I have no control over that. And so there's no power in it. When we're at home in our own selves, how do I feel? What do I think? What am I doing to take care of myself? That's where all the power is. All the power is right here. And that's where then we make better choices and can set boundaries and all these things for how much am I going to give in this situation to that person? You know, where do I need to say no? Where do I need to take a break? All those things start to be really clear when we come back to ourselves. It's when we try to figure those things out when we're in another person's stuff, (laughs) that it's very confusing. 
So I'll, I'll stop because I feel like I've been talking a long time and ask me whatever you want. I also have a really good metaphor for this. So you can tell me when you want me to go to the metaphor. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll, one second. I was just going to yeah. say that as women, now I'm older than you, but our role models, like women 60-ish or over, yeah. our role models were our mothers who were the workhorses. Yes. You know, that's just the way it was. So as for you, it became really important for both my daughters and my son not to ever think that women played that role. So, yeah. you know, I think we have that in common of just like, yes. we're going to change this with this generation. Yes, this generation, this is my, one of my sisters <laughs> and I always say, like uh, the, our own family dysfunction, you know, that we inherited. We want to be the generation where a whole lot of it stops, you know, and yeah. as long as the next generation of our own children is better as long as they're healthier then that's that's our goal we were successful and now i have grandchildren and i'm seeing how the next generation my daughters are parenting their children in an even more empowered way that is just light years from where i was even with them and so that's the real thrill and the joy of it right is that evolution you know, and so I love that. And I think what's important for us at every age, and this could probably be a whole nother podcast episode, but I have had many reinventions of my life. And maybe the biggest one, we'll see when I look back with more hindsight, (laughs) started when I turned 50. And this 10 years between 50 and 60, I got into a significant relationship. I didn't marry him, but we lived together. I left that relationship. I totally changed careers. I started a business. I ended up going broke, was practically homeless. I mean, like $50 in the bank and no place to live in two days, practically homeless. Okay. And, you know, now I'm recovering from that. My business is thriving. I'm living two blocks from the beach and beautiful, sunny, you know, Huntington Beach. And, uh, you know, it didn't happen by accident. It happened because as those crises arose, I put all these things that we're talking about into practice, right? So life doesn't become, you know, when you sort of liberate yourself from these habits of people pleasing, it doesn't mean that difficult things don't continue to come into your life, but how you handle them and the amount of empowerment you feel in the midst of them becomes very different. And so one of the things I often say is that you can't really have liberation without power. You can't have authenticity without power. When we're being our authentic selves, even if it's for a nanosecond, that's what power feels like. People often kind of wonder, like, I don't even, what does empowerment feel like? It was a great word. What is it? You know, how do I know if I feel? Well, there's this feeling state that happens when you're just being your true self. You know, when you've let your hair down or whatever. And hopefully everybody listening has experienced this. If not, it's still available to you. It's never too late. Where you're just yourself, you just feel, I don't know, better words, maybe you have better words to describe it, but it's just this sense of, oh, this is, this is me. This is who I really am. And power has that same feeling as does liberation. 
And so I can feel liberated and be in a very difficult circumstance. I can feel empowered and be in a very difficult circumstance. They're different things. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Just uh, recently, I was talking about the fact I used to row um, many moons ago. And the the fellow who was behind me, I, I was in stroke position, which meant everybody was behind me. Okay. And I, I had so much adrenaline that I'd, I'd come off the start line, off the gun, and and he'd scream at me, Agnes, get into the boat. And it just meant, like, be aware of this place. Yeah. And I've used it ever since. And that was a lot of years ago that I rode. Uh, but I often call it just being in the boat because, yeah, things yeah. are smooth. You, you are in control of everything and in a good way. Yes. And it's not, yes, it's in a good way. It's in a way where I, I was just, I'm writing a book right now on uh, my process that I call the solve it method. And so this is a coaching process that I sort of discovered after using it on myself and using it on clients a bunch of times, I realized like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm kind of repeating, you know, a process. And so it grew up very sort of organically in my mind of my own coaching practice. And so I, that made me really curious. I'm like, I'm going to really identify this. And, you know, then I kind of came up with this name, the solve it method, which I love because I feel like it solves any problem. And that sounds ridiculous and very, you know, whatever, like a marketing pitch, (laughs) but with myself and all the ups and downs of my own life in the last, you know, five years, especially. And with all the clients I've coached, I have to say there isn't a situation that at least has come up so far from all kinds of work stuff, business stuff, personal stuff, you know, kids, aging parents, all the things (laughs) that it doesn't work with. And so I'm writing a book about it and we have a free giveaway uh, of a podcast bundle where I taught it and that we can give to all the listeners uh, through the show notes and whatever, but it's a great little process for sorting through this. And as I was writing today on it, I've just realized again, thinking about my own life and stories I'm putting, including in the book of how you, so I left this last relationship when I was, was about 53. It was when we split up and it was very difficult. He was supporting me financially. I was in my coach training, so I hadn't started my business. I lived in his house, you know, so I'm very dependent physically, like, you know, on him and I don't have a lot of money saved. And he, gave me an ultimatum that was very emotionally abusive. I had, you know, I'd seen the signs, but ignored them, unfortunately. And this thing was so dramatic in a way. I'm very grateful. He was so dramatically abusive with his ultimatum because I just knew like it woke me up. Right. And I was just like, Oh no, I'll take door number two and leave, you know? So, but in the process of all that and all the logistics and the feelings, I thought I finally figured it out. And this was the last relationship I was going to have. You know, so there were a lot of feelings. There was a lot of logistics stuff that was difficult. I didn't have a lot of resources. So all that was very difficult, but it did not have the quality of stressfulness on it because I was in that empowered 
liberated state where it wasn't like a false sense of bravado of like, I've got this and I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps. It wasn't like that. I've done that. And that's okay if that's what you've got. (laughs) But this was so different that it changed me forever because I suddenly felt and experienced, okay, this is what it feels like to go through something really difficult from an empowered state which included authenticity, which included freedom, which feels very, sounds very incongruent to the circumstance, but that's the beauty of it. We have the ability to feel and think and behave in ways that are very incongruent with what it would appear that our circumstances would dictate. And that's, that's where, that's why we're so powerful because we can do that when we're in our own home, when we're with ourselves and not off in other people's sandboxes, as I call it. So I'll drop the metaphor in here real quick. So the sandbox is, uh, we all have our own sandbox. We live in that. That is us. Okay. So that's my sandbox. It's my feelings, my attitude, my thoughts, my, yes, sorry for the little banging in the background there. My actions, my desires, my, it's all the, everything that is me, how I feel, what I think, you know, all the things that are me. And then everyone else has a sandbox. You have yours. My kids each have theirs, you know, all the people, sorry, all the people have their sandbox. And if I get into anybody else's sandbox, I lose my power because my own sandbox is the only place I have power. So I can go help you. Like if I'm a caregiver, which I haven't had to do that. My sister, my mother lives with my sister, which I'm very grateful (laughs) for. So my sister does this every day. But if I want to go help you, or that's, you know, we've decided that's what we're, I'm going to do. That's my role right now is to help you with your care. That's great. I can go help you in your sandbox. You can ask me to come help you at your sandbox, but I don't, it's not my sandbox. As soon as I try to make you feel a certain way, I want you to be more grateful. Okay. That's an easy one with caregiving. I I want you to be more grateful. Well, now I'm in your sandbox trying to get you to build a sandcastle that I want. And that's why it's so stressful. And so even that term crazy making, if anybody's familiar with that, which happens a lot in emotionally abusive relationships and over people we overfunction for, it's crazy making because we got out of our own sandbox and into somebody else's. And there's no power there. And so I feel like that is now for me, just a calling to get back in my sandbox. I can still help you. It doesn't mean I can't be your caretaker, but it does mean I need to get back in my sandbox and attend to how I'm feeling and thinking and what I need and not just what it is that you you know, need or I want you to think or feel. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just to address the elephant in the room is like, you know, like for you to go into that person's sandbox and say, get rid of the damn hammer. It's, it's, it's that person's sandbox. Now about that hammer, a whole bunch of people that are listening right now go are saying, oh, well, at least it's not Agnes's dog barking. Okay. Yes, I have a camera instead of the dog. Yeah, it's a it's the real world. Not a problem. (laughs) 
quiet all morning and now they're doing some work right outside my window. In my yeah. apartment. No, uh, but yes, it is that. And it applies to everything. Yeah. I could sit here and get all wound up about this hammer outside my window, or I can be present with you. Yeah. And I can say, well, you know, <laughs> life goes on and it's more important to me, to me, to me, to Brenda, it's yeah. more important to me to be present with you in this audience than to be distracted and stressing over. I want him to stop that because yeah. I can't be present either. And I think to your metaphor of the rowing is perfect. Being in the boat is about being present yeah. and we can't be, be present and get out of our sandbox. Like as soon as we get out of our sandbox, we've lost being present because we've lost ourselves. So the ability to control, we can control. Yeah. 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 So you, you have jumped into the solvent method because I was going to ask you about that. Four pillars, desire, action, thoughts, feelings. Could you explain just how those come together or interact? Yeah. So how they enter, I don't even, sometimes I don't even call them pillars anymore. I've always struggled with. Sorry, that was my word. I didn't, couldn't come up with a better one. I I thought maybe you were, I had it on my website for a long time that way. So I thought maybe I hadn't changed it. But anyway, now I try to think of them as elements. Anyway, everyone, you will get this as soon as I say it, they interact with each other in any number of ways. So it's not a hierarchy. It's not a step-by-step start here and go there and go there. But there are four things that are almost like lenses that you could look at any problem with. Okay, so if my problem is I said I wanted to lose 10 pounds, but I can't seem to get my butt up off the couch and go to the gym. Okay, so that's my problem. I I might identify it as a weight problem or I might identify it as an action problem. I'm not going to the gym. Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. I got a problem. Okay. So we take that problem and we look at it through these lenses of desire, action, thoughts, and feelings. So there's only four pieces. It's not complex by any stretch, but it goes deep. So I can, we'll just for sake of uh, this podcast, we'll start with desire. So I'm saying it's a problem because I want to lose 10 pounds and I'm not going to the gym. Do I really want to lose 10 pounds? Like, is that really my desire? Like desire, like really? Is that what I want? Or did I see a news article about the COVID-15 or whatever? And I'm just, it, it created a body shaming thing where I'm like, oh, I should. Well, I have put on that 15 and I should want to lose this or What happened to me? I sent my mother a picture. She shared it with a friend and texted me instead of her friend and said, wow, Brenda really looks like she's put on some weight. And I'm like, "Uh, mom, I don't think you meant to send that to me. And since she was very embarrassed, but you know, so I felt that shame, criticism, whatever from my mom. And so now I got to lose 10 pounds, you know, but it's not really my desire. Because if it's really my desire, I'm going to take action towards it. We do all kinds of things all the time that we want to do. <laughs> and we don't have problems with, with procrastination or not being consistent or all those things because we want it. Now, wanting it isn't always enough, though. Maybe I do decide I want to. I really That's my desire. I really want to drop this 10 pounds. I don't like how it feels on my body, blah, blah. 
So now what lens do we need to look at? Because the action is still the problem, okay? So now I'm going to look at thoughts or feelings. Because one of these things, of these other three things, is short-circuiting the thing that the problem feels like it's part of, okay? So in this case, I think the problem is my action, and so the or the lack thereof. And so somewhere in the lens of these other three is the answer, is the solution, to that problem. And with things like weight loss, especially, but many other things, it's usually our thoughts. It's usually that I have a thought that it's not going to work, that, you know, I worked out before and I didn't lose weight or, you know, something I've got some, or I've just got body shaming thoughts that are short circuiting and sabotaging. This is where all the imposter syndrome comes in professionally, all that stuff. Okay. Limiting beliefs. Then there's feelings. Now, the big thing with thoughts and feelings is they are always together. Like they're, they're so close together, it's hard to, di- to distinguish where one stops and one starts. Because with every thought, boom, happy or sad, stressful or joyful, a feeling is going to come right with it. So when we look at our feelings, the, the thought may be where we're really getting short-circuited, but there are feelings that are coming from that. There's shame, there's disappointment, there's self you know, there's things like that that are happening on the negative side that are keeping us stuck in, in action in this problem. But there's also the power of deciding how we want to feel. And so feelings are also something we can choose. We've all done it a million times, but we don't think about, we don't think of that as a superpower, right? And so if I want to say, okay, so I'm, I'm, I've checked in and I absolutely want to lose this 10 pounds. That's a desire. And I've checked in with my thoughts and I see my thoughts that are sabotaging me and then, of course, we have to disempower those thoughts. My favorite, just quickie, is asking, is it true? Because most of our limiting beliefs, stressful thoughts are not true. Where there's something about the future or something else somebody should be doing, and we never can know for sure they are true, okay? Even if they feel true, doesn't mean they are true. So that's a good way to sort of short circuit that. And I have more tips in the podcast bundle, but for the sake of time, we'll just do that one. And then... Let me choose how I want to feel. I want to feel strong. I want to feel maybe flexible in my body or lighter, you know, literally if I lose the tempo. So let me focus on what I want to feel. Like, let me partner that with the desire. And that will also help diminish those thoughts that are sabotaging me. And then I can get myself back on track with that action. So does that sort of, does that make sense to you? It does, because I was going to go on to personal power, because I'm really big on personal power, um, and stepping into that power. So it sounds like that is that, basically, that's fundamentally what the four lenses are, is enabling a person to step into their own power. Yes, it is. And you'll notice in my example, I didn't talk about anybody else. Like it's not because my spouse likes to eat fattening food or my, you know, like whatever. It's very easy to blame other people or conditions, circumstances for why we're having the problem we're having. Okay. So that is the beginning 
doing that is the first step of losing our power. As soon as we blame somebody else, we have no power. Okay. We hold people accountable. Yes. Holding someone accountable or responsible for what they do is perfectly appropriate and actually empowering, but holding someone accountable. I held my partner accountable for his abusive ultimatum to me. And I did that by leaving him. Ultimately, that was, you know, like I can't make him feel responsible. I promise you he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) He's sure it's all me, right? Uh, But for myself, I can hold him accountable for that, but I'm not going to have my story be, oh my gosh, he was emotionally abusive and that's why I had to leave and I went through all these struggles and I, it's because of him and he did this and he did that. No, there's no power in that for me. So the solvent method is intended to keep bringing us back into our own sandbox. What are my thoughts? Where am I telling myself I'm not good enough? Where am I telling myself, you know, I'm too old, I'm not smart enough, you know, whatever, all those broad sweeping statements we say about ourselves. That's where the power is. I can turn my own thought around. I can't turn yours around. I can't get you to see me any differently than you see me. I have no power over there. So the solvent method is intended, yes, to bring us back into our own sandbox and work with what we can control, quote unquote, which is ourselves, the only place we have power. What what do I want to do? What do I want to do differently? Where do I need to say no? You know, where do I need to take care of myself so that I can get these things back in alignment? Because when our desires and our action and our thoughts and our feelings are in alignment, we can do even the most difficult things from a place of peace and calm and joy and liberation and power. You know, again, those all kind of line up together. So I'm going to ask you to tie something together here for me. Um, On your website, I did see something about difficult people. And sometimes, you know, you, you have neither the desire or whatever to actually get rid of a person out of your life. But if someone's difficult or domineering, for example, on which, like, just take that one piece that you want to do, like weight loss, for example. Okay. If... If you've got a spouse that says, you know, you're fine. I love you, you know, like, and really pushing that. And I realize that could be about the spouse. It probably is about the spouse for a a bunch of reasons, a whole bunch of reasons. But, but what do you say to the person who's wanting to step into their power, but has a super domineering, difficult person in their life? Yes. Okay. Love that you asked me that. I have a lot of experience with this. This is where I use the metaphor of <laughs> a dog that bites. Okay. A dog that bites. Now we can demonize that dog and whatever and say he shouldn't be biting and he's a bad dog and whatever, but he's probably biting for like, he probably grew up in an abusive environment or something stressful himself. You know, we don't blame dogs for that. We're like, Oh, the poor dog, you know, and that's why he bites. Okay. But we've got to eat bites. So we got to put him in a fence with one of the little signs on the fence that says, you know, there's a dog that bites in here. Okay. Because we know 
that's just who the dog is. Okay. And so the same is true with a super domineering person, male or female, (laughs) they are like a dog that bites. And so if I'm going to step into the fence in the yard, I just need to know that's what I've done. I'm stepping into the arena with a dog that bites. And so the most self-loving, self-caring thing I can do is to protect myself in that, whatever that might mean. That might mean, you know, whatever, literally with a dog, maybe I have, you know, like pads, guards on my wrists and hands and whatever to bite me. It also means I'm probably not going to hop in there and aggravate the hell out of it. Right? So same with people. When, and again, so this is tricky. I'm going to try to be clear with my language because I am not suggesting anyone stay in an abusive environment. I'm not suggesting that the best thing you can do is just keep your mouth shut. It's much more nuanced than that. And there are, there's a huge spectrum, right? And so we're all over in the spectrum of hammering. And <laughs> maybe instead of a dog that bites, it's a hammering on your wall. It's just what's happening. It's what is, right? If that's what is, they are a domineering person. So I'm going to go into that being really present with myself. And first of all, again, really separating where, what's his sandbox or her, you know, I'm going to say his for sake of argument and what's my sandbox. So their sandbox is the biting. Mine is what am I going to do and what am I going to think and what am I going to feel? And so where do I need to still say no? Because even though you like to bite, I'm going to still say no. Where may I choose to keep my mouth shut? Because it's not going to do any good. I mean, I have a client right now in an abusive, emotionally abusive relationship. She doesn't feel ready to leave. And so we navigate that every week in her coaching sessions. Where does she speak up? Where does she keep her mouth shut? Because you can't control that other person. You don't know when they're going to snap at you or, you know, whatever. And so the most loving thing might be, I'm not going to say how I'm feeling. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking, because if I do, I know they're going to attack me. And what good is that going to do? There are other times, because I always say, we speak our truth not to get an outcome, but because we need to speak our truth. So, of course, it's lovely when the person we speak our truth to hears it and responds in a way that we enjoy and feels good to us and maybe changes what they were doing or whatever, and we get an outcome we liked. But we share our truth, we speak our truth for ourselves, for that, because that's a piece of empowerment. And so, you know, I can't, there's no formula for when do I protect myself wisely by keeping my mouth shut? And when am I falling into people pleasing there? That's a slippery slope because I'm keeping my mouth shut just to keep the peace. And when do I speak up for myself? So I don't know if that's too wishy-washy for you. I don't mind being put on the spot. So you can. <laughs> well, I guess where I'm, what I'm thinking is like staying with your analogy of the sandboxes is yeah. 
And I think possibly it's easier to do with a family member. You can't always do it with a boss. He'll say, fine, go. Like, (laughs) you're out of here. (laughs) But to actually go to that person and say, you know, like, I don't like what you're doing in your sandbox because it's throwing all this muddy sand over into mine. I need you to go back to your sandbox, figure out how to play nicely in yours while I play yeah. nicely in mine, because I really like having our sandboxes share a wall or whatever. Like I'm just yeah. struggling to pull exactly. in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I like our sandboxes close together. Yeah. I like you near me, but I don't like it when you come over and tear down my sandcastles I was working on or throw your ball over here and knock it down or whatever. Yes. I don't like that. And so, and what I loved about how you just said that, because it's so pivotal to personal power is that you said, go figure out, I mean, these are my words for what you said, (laughs) my paraphrase, go figure out what you need to do about that, right? Like you're not trying to fix it for them. So now, you know, I want you to, now let me just communicate what I want. I need to be able to be with someone who can hear me, who doesn't just fly off at the handle every time I say something you don't agree with. So I really need you to work on that because I want you, I want to be in this relationship with you. I want to have your sandbox close to mine and I not, but, and I really need you to figure that out. But what we tend to do is we tell them how to figure it out or we want to be the person they go to, to figure it out. Cause we want to script that. And then we're over there in their sandbox. And I think, too, like just looking at big picture, we can really go deep here. (laughs) But like even by saying, I need you to go to your sandbox and figure it out. And if they sort of do the immature thing of like, are you giving me an ultimatum or are you going to leave me or whatever? Like, I'm, I'm thinking that my response personally in terms of are you leaving me would be not yet. (laughs) you know which is good for them and for yourself because like you've got a a client who isn't ready to end the relationship but if it's if it's always going to be that throwing sand back and forth that can't be pleasant long term no exactly but you know we also have the right in our own power to to do our best to the amount that we have power over to create a scenario that supports us So for instance, when I left my second marriage, I was, I had just started a new job. I hadn't recovered financially from my first, when I got divorced the first time we were married 16 years, I ended up taking on all the financial responsibility. Like he just didn't have any money and I could work and you know, whatever. So anyway, I get married a second time, two years later, I haven't recovered from that. You know, I'm not making tons of money. I I don't have money saved up, da, da, da. Kids and I are great. So that's all what counts, right? I get married a second time. And like so often happens, I realize I've really married my first husband all over again, as far as the emotional dynamics between us, very different people on the surface. Mm -hmm. It was very different, but same thing underneath. So I knew I wasn't going to do that long-term. So we separated for a little while after a year, he says he's going to change and do this and that it becomes very obvious to me about a year and a half in that it, nothing's going to be any different. And I'm not going to, 
I'm just not going to do it again. I'm not going to invest 16 years waiting for him to change. You know, I'm just not, I'm not up for that. So anyway, but I'm in a precarious position. I still have three kids living at home. I have just moved from North Carolina to Pennsylvania. I don't have a lot of friends yet. I'm new in a new job, you know, so my external stuff was a little precarious. And uh, so I stayed about six and five months knowing in my own mind I was going to leave and when he would get frustrated and so I danced this dance of speaking my truth some of the time because I I just needed to for me and other times I let stuff go otherwise we would have just been in constant conflict which would have been very stressful for me and the three kids I had living with us and So that, you know, I danced that dance. I won't say I did it perfectly. When he would get frustrated and say, like, are you going to leave me? Like, he could tell, I'm sure, emotionally, I was distancing and whatever. And I would say, because my therapist gave me these words, (laughs) I didn't come up with this on my own, but I loved them because it was truthful to me. And I said, I am committed to being here today. Because that, for me, that's what it was. And I kind of, in my own mind, had a target date. But I was also wise enough at this point to know any number of things might have happened that would have changed that, I imagined. And it did. It got moved up about a month because he, you know, anyway, there was just a a fight we got into. And I just knew, like, I was just like, pulling the trigger. I'm telling him (laughs) I'm leaving, you know. But we get to craft that so was I a hundred percent transparent with him no because I gave myself the gift of a little time where I didn't have to yet come up with a deposit for an apartment and move my kids I could save a little money because I had this new job like I, I I gave myself that and that's okay that's okay power and authenticity doesn't to me, you can tell me if you disagree. To me, it doesn't mean I say everything. Yeah. You know? So, no, I didn't say, yeah, and I'm thinking after all the kids' birthdays in January, <laughs> I'm out in February. You know, I didn't say that. But I, I didn't go so far as to pretend I was all in either. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if this is a reflection on my self or not but mm-hmm. i've often said that i never tell lies i have been known to not tell the whole truth but i'm not telling any lies and perhaps that might have been sort of part of what you were doing too but i love that phrase of i am invested in being here today yes and i think yours is great too i mean i've done you know i'm i'm not gone yet kind of a thing like the yet thing nothing wrong with that either again nobody This is the beauty of using these kinds of tools like we're talking about to tune into ourselves because our own inner wisdom is our best guide. I do not know what the, you know, quote unquote, best thing for you to say is. I don't know when the right time for you to draw that line in the sand is. I, at least my own style of coaching, I don't give advice 
Uh, I don't think I know what's best for anyone. I, I, I'm doing good if I know what's best for me. <laughs> but we all You're staying in your own sandbox. That's right. Staying in my own sandbox. In that sandbox is our own inner wisdom, that inner guide that knows what's best for us. It's that usually still small voice, not the one yelling and screaming at you. And it will guide you into knowing like the day that I ended up saying, yes, I'm leaving. Like I didn't know when I woke up that morning, that's what was going to happen. But when it came to me, like when I hit that spot, I just knew like, you know, I knew and, and I trusted that. Whereas in my first marriage, I think I could safely say I knew many times before and I kept saying no, like I would hear that. And then I would just like, just no, 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 not doing that. Cause I was too afraid, you know, which is whatever. We're all on our own journeys for our own reasons to learn our own soul lessons, you know? So <laughs> there's no mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Brenda, the, the subheading for my podcast here is the fine art of conversation. And we could go on for hours on this. I love this conversation, but I'm going to yes. bring it back over here to your blog. Two articles caught my eye. Okay. One was about stalling. Is is that the same as procrastination? I'll be honest and say, of course, I don't remember exactly that blog. <laughs> but it, so I could have, I could have been talking. I do talk often about procrastination because people are so self-critical about it. And uh, stalling is definitely, that. that could be the context of which I was talking about that because stalling can be a way to do that. It's stalling can be, a little tricky because it could be like I was stalling when I was saying I'm here for today, you know? So I, I think one of the things I've noticed over the years, as I have written a lot, I've written a lot of blogs because I send them out at least weekly for a while. I was doing them twice or three times a week. I've written a lot of stuff over the last <laughs> three years writing the book I'm in the middle of now, speaking as much as I do, having my own podcast, you know, Liberate Your People Pleaser, I realize more and more, and the more people I coach, that there's no one, everything can have its place, right? So there are times when procrastination is my best friend. And there are times that it isn't. And so the problem is not procrastination. The problem is whatever's motivating that. Sort of like I was saying in a more proactive way about speaking our truth. We speak our truth for ourselves, not to get an outcome. So whether I end up saying something or not saying something, because in this moment, when I've tuned into my inner wisdom, I feel like saying something is going to be like poking that dog that I know is going to bite. Okay. So sometimes I'm keeping my mouth shut. Sometimes I'm speaking up. It's not that empowerment is always speaking up and people pleasing is always keeping our mouth shut. Like life isn't that simple. Empowerment is the conscious ability to choose which of those feels more right to me in the moment, more self-loving in the moment, and then just trusting that. That's empowerment. And so procrastination 
or stalling can be friend or foe, either one. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So it's just sort of, once again, claiming your own self-power. and Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. The other article I looked at was about needing an upgrade. I love the article. Uh, I know my inner diva lets me know when yes. I need an upgrade, but can you explain that for those listeners who haven't read your article? Yes, yes. So <laughs> I love upgrades. I am a little bit all about extra, but again, I've gone through a really, really difficult three-ish years financially. So... What does an upgrade mean when you have $50 and you're two days away from any place to live? You know, obviously today, two blocks from the beach, my upgrades are different. They look different, but it doesn't matter. The point, And really what saved me in navigating that, because that financial, it wasn't always that bad, but I mean, I went through pretty much a year and a half where I had didn't have two nickels to rub together and often had to live with friends or family because I couldn't afford to have my own place to live. And that's very depressing at 55, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, and I've made quite, I mean, I've been a successful at what I do many times in my life. I've made a lot of money in my life. And so, and I love money. And so I don't deal very well with, you know, financial <laughs> stress and being broke. And so what really kept me going through all that was what I said a little bit ago when we were talking about the solvent method, choosing how I feel. So I felt like every day, my number one job, even though I'm self-employed and the only money coming in is me making it, right? So one in previous times in my life, I would have just activated my hustle muscle. Okay. Cause I'm very good at hustle and bootstrapping and all those things. Instead, this time, what I said was my number one job every day is to feel abundant, even though whatever amount of money is in my bank. Okay. So I would work on that because first of all, as a coach, like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to show up on a Facebook live or write a blog from a place of scarcity and diminishment and feeling like crap, you know, like that's not going to work. And so I found little ways to upgrade. Like even at that, it makes me laugh now. I'm a coffee freak. I'm a super coffee snob. I've always spent a lot of money on coffee because I, you know, whatever, I, I love really good coffee. And so a few years ago, my kids turned me on to a brand that's out here in California. It's moving West a little bit now, but it's called Phil's coffee. It originated in San Francisco. And so not living in California until just recently, I had this coffee shipped to me in Pennsylvania. That's $18 a pound when you walk up to the counter. So by the time I paid to have it shipped, I think it was $25 a pound. And I had that coffee shipped to me every three weeks for, you know, years. Well, now I'm living out here and I can walk up to the counter, but I'm, I always had Phil's coffee through that whole time. When I had $50 in the bank, it was Googling homeless shelters. I had, you know, some groceries in my car and I was staying in an Airbnb, but, you know, I kept a lot of stuff in my car that had Phil's coffee in it because that to me was just, that was a way I could upgrade even in the midst of all this horrible stuff. I was eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly, but I was drinking my Phil's coffee <laughs> because that just felt, it's like these ways that we can, it's empowering. 
it's empowering to bring things. It could be nature, right? It doesn't have to be even anything you spend money on. It can be nature. It's empowering to go take a walk out in nature because if we will allow it, if we have an intention to allow it to be that way for us, because nature is always growing, it's always moving, it's always changing, there's always more, it's always extra, right? And so when we want to tap into that, anything that we can do to upgrade our experience in that will just support moving us towards the truth, which is that there are infinite possibilities, instead of what our thoughts are telling us, which are that we're doomed in some way or another, you know? Um, and so I cultivated, I, I worked that muscle a lot over the last <laughs> few years. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say coffee because I, I am also a coffee snob. But the one thing I always told my children um, after my marriage ended was if I'm still drinking wine on the weekend, we're okay. Yes. You know, now yeah. by the same token, it also meant then there was a couple of times I was really scrambling to find cheap wine, <laughs> but, yeah. but that's okay. Cause the kids were that's reassured. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So same, same thing. I went to Trader Joe's to buck Chuck, right. I also always had a bottle of red wine with me because <laughs> I, I just, I don't know that I had to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay. So having just said, I never lied. I did lie to you. There were actually okay. three articles that caught my eye. Today, as this goes live, it's the 20th of October. You have something happening tomorrow, I believe. Oh, I do. I do. I am starting a series that I'm going to offer every month on the third Thursday. I thought third Thursday sounded catchy and it would be easy for all of us to remember it. Third Thursday. And uh, it's just going to be like a masterclass. So this one tomorrow is going to be three anxiety busters. So I'm just going to teach my three best tools. And obviously I've told you enough of my story. You know, I have dealt with some <laughs> anxiety. So these are going to be my best three tools for dealing with really difficult situations or, or even just, it doesn't have to be difficult for anxiety to arise, but you know, whatever triggers our anxiety. And so I'm going to have people register for that. So you'll get, you can, you'll find the link on my website or, you know, we'll put it in the show notes, whatever, so that you can get the recording. Of course, if you can't be there at the time I'm doing it, I'm going to teach it live at 4 PM Pacific every third Thursday. And so my topics will cycle around to different topics. Uh, and because people will register, that means I can send out the recording afterwards to them if they couldn't be there live. So oh, I'm very excited about that. Yes. And this will be an ongoing thing. So if somebody, if, if this podcast episode is somebody's weekend guilty pleasure, they've missed yes. Thursday, they can register for next month. The, yes. Every okay. third Thursday, we'll have one. Oh, yes. That's great. Yes. Good. Yes. Wonderful. Brenda, this has been great. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank what you. haven't What haven't I asked you that you think is important for boomer women to know? We've been all over the map today. We have. And I guess part of what I'll say, it's coming from my own experience. I was fine at 50 uh, with my age, but 60 was hard for me. And that feeling, those thoughts of... It's getting to be too late. There's not enough time. You know, I'm too old now for this. I want to say that that's a big fat lie. <laughs> and that whatever you still want to do, whatever your dreams are, 
they still matter and you can still do them because I believe our desires are very unique and sacred to us. And so whatever desire you have, you have it because somehow, some way you can make it happen in the world. And so whatever desire, I think it, as we get into, you know, all of us as boomers by definition are getting older. right? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so as we get older, it's easy to buy that cultural concept that, oh, well, you know, no, you can't, you know, do this at whatever age, you know, fill in the blank. But when we look, one of my favorite people, and I love to use her as an example in my own mind, is a woman, her, she, her name is Dr. Edith Eager. And I encourage anyone to get either of her two books, but her first book she wrote at 90, she's now 92 or 93, somewhere in there. And it's called The Choice. And it's her story. She was a survivor of uh, the concentration camps of the Holocaust. I think Auschwitz, but now I'm not sure if that's the right. But anyway, one of the horrible, they're all horrible. And so it's her story and how she came into an living an empowered life after surviving that. And she spent most of her life helping um, veterans with trauma and just pe- other people with trauma issues. And so you read her story and it's just like so amazing And you look at her and I said, she doesn't even write this book until she's 90. And then she's on Oprah. Like she gets on Super Soul Sunday at 91 or whatever, you know. And so it's just, it's never too late. Whatever it is that is in you, that spark that is there, cultivate that. Like, you know, fan the fires of that because the world needs every piece of light we can bring into it and so that is part of the liberation when whenever we're hiding our light under a bushel as the song that I learned in Sunday school would say (laughs) we are cheating the world out of that light that would shine And so I think that's maybe where I'll leave it is just, you know, I set out on a big dream with a lot of desires and I felt for several years that I was just falling flat on my face, but I'm so glad I kept going. So it's not always easy, but it, but it's in us to be done. Yeah. That's great. Where do people find you online? Yes. Yeah, so it's my name being Brenda Florida makes it pretty easy. So <laughs> Facebook on Instagram, I'm Brenda Florida coach. Cause someone else has my name that isn't even on Instagram, Brenda Florida coach on Instagram. And my website is simply brendaflorida.com. Good. Now you also have a podcast. You mentioned it. I and do. I am trying to convince more people to tune into podcasts. Yes. You know, they're great company when you're walking and so much better than TV. Yeah. What's the name of your podcast and where liberate your people pleaser, liberate your people pleaser. So you can get it from, it has its own podcast hosted website, but the URL is a little more complicated. You can just go to my website, brendaflorida.com and up in the navigation, there's a podcast, you know, link and go to it right from there. It's on, you know, 
or remember the name from there <laughs> and then go to iTunes or Spotify or Google play or whoever all you, cause it's in, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> lots of, lots of uh, subscription provider service providers. So liberate your people, please. Or yeah, I'd love to have you, uh, your listeners listen to an episode. Oh, that's great. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And listeners, I really encourage you to check out Brenda's website. There's a lot of great info. Give a listen to her podcast. As she said, there's a link there in the top bar. It's pretty thought provoking. I did listen to a couple of episodes. Thank you. As is yours. I love this. I mean, you have so many great, there's such a variety, you know, in the conversations you're having. It's really fun. Yeah, that's great. The listeners, if you have comments on today's show, you can leave them where you listen to podcasts or at twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Feel free to leave stars. They help us grow. Next Wednesday is monthly mandate. So be sure to come back next week and get motivated to start a physical routine in your slash our older years. Brenda Florida, thank you so much for your insights and your inspiration today. It was a delight. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. It was really fun for me to be with you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners. Have a great rest of week. Thank you.